I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5. As we continue this morning, but also conclude our series on preaching that we've entitled, What Would Jesus Preach? And the aim of the series has really been to learn from Jesus' preaching um, what we should expect from preaching and and how we should receive such preaching, what to expect from preaching and, and how we should receive it. And we're seeking to answer that question in light of what Jesus did preach. We're looking to Jesus' examples to learn how and what he preached as we seek to apply his approach, not only in the pulpit, again, but also in the pew. And just by way of reminder, the first sermon we considered from Matthew 22, uh, we looked at the source and method of Jesus' preaching. And there we saw that the, the source of Christ's preaching was the Scriptures, pure and simple. He preached the Scriptures because of his view of Scripture. Uh, he believed that the Scriptures were the very Word of God. And so his method then flowed from that view of Scripture. He sought to preach the Scriptures in terms of the breadth and the depth. He went across salvation history, looking from Genesis to Revelation at God's big plan of salvation focused in Himself. But then he also went deep into the text. He didn't just look at the forest, he went to the trees. He went from redemptive historical preaching... Uh, to expositional preaching. He'd take the text of Scripture and he would exposit the text so that God's people would hear what God was saying to them in the Word. And then we turned last week and we considered the content of Jesus' preaching. We saw from Mark 1 that when Jesus preached, he preached gospel. He preached good news, or what we might call the indicatives of the Scriptures. The announcement of what God has done in Christ to save His people from their sins. And that included three things, if you remember. Jesus preached the bad news about sin and judgment in order that we would rightly understand and rejoice in the good news and the person and work of Christ to pay for the sins of His people and to take the judgment that they deserve for their sins by sheer grace. And then He would also talk about the ways in which we receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way. And that's by receiving Christ through repentance and faith. And so this morning, what I'd like to consider with you is the other major focus uh, of the content of Jesus' preaching, namely the law. And I want to look at two aspects of Jesus' preaching of the law from Matthew chapter 5. This being our last sermon in the series... We're going to consider how Jesus preached the law. There's there's debates even on whether or not Jesus did this. But I want to show you from the scriptures that Jesus indeed preached law when he preached. He preached the imperatives of God's word. That is, God's commands. What God calls us in Christ to do for him. But secondly, we'll see that Jesus Christ, when he preached the law... He preached it in light of gospel. He called his people to obedience as an expression of gratitude for the grace they had already received in the gospel. 
And I think both of these points are found here in Matthew 5 and what we would just call the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus and by anyone else, the Sermon on the Mount. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, and let's consider how Jesus preached the law and how he preached the law in light of the gospel. We're going to focus on verses 17 through 20, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 so that we get the context here. And you'll find this on page 809 through 810 of the few Bibles in front of you. Friends, this is God's word to us. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light Shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass From the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to sit now at the feet of Jesus, our shepherd, our preacher, and our redeemer, and ask that we would believe what he says, that we would delight in what he says, And that by the Holy Spirit and the grace that flows from the gospel, we would live in light of who he is and what he's done for us. For his glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to focus on verses 17 through 20. And the first point I want to make 
is simply this. Jesus preached law. But now the first order of business is just to say a word about the meaning of the word law. Because that's a hotly debated topic, even in Christian circles today. There are debates over the uses of the law. There are some who would argue that there are really only two. uh, That we use the law in restraining wickedness and and in convicting of sin, driving us to Christ. But traditionally, the Reformed faith, and I'm going to argue from the text this morning, that the biblical approach includes a third use of the law, namely the guide for Christian obedience. And there are also debates over the relationship between law and gospel. This is hotly debated, even in some reform circles today. There's those who argue that the law and gospel are entirely different things. There's some people who argue that they're basically the same. There are people who try to take a a middle ground approach to say that they're different but related with some things that overlap. So there are debates over the law, and we can't go into detail on all of these debates this morning, but I, I do hope that we'll see from this passage that Jesus touches on a number of them. And as we go through the text, I'll try to answer some of these as we go along. But let me just offer a short, simple definition of law just to help us get started. So that you understand what I'm thinking about uh, whenever I use the word law. Just at its most basic level, you can think of the law in this way. The law is the imperative of Scripture or the imperatives that we encounter when we read the Bible. That is... The commands that God calls us to obey. Very simply. There's all kinds of debates on how we obey them and which ones we obey. But at its most basic level, I think, the law that Jesus preached were the commands of Scripture that God calls us in Christ to obey. And the first point I want to make is simply this. Jesus preached the law. He called upon his followers to live in faithful obedience to his commands And I don't think there's any clearer illustration of Jesus' preaching of that than what we have here in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So before I jump into the exposition of the the text, let me just say a brief word about some of the difficulties of this passage. I've already said that there are debates on the use of the law and the nature of the law and so forth. But there are also debates over the, the text before us. This is a difficult passage in a number of ways. There's several things that Jesus says here in in these few verses uh, that people, even Reformed Christians, have interpreted in various ways. Uh, So we'll walk through the passage, and I'll try to uh, address some of those differences. But I don't want us to get caught in the difficulties. Because there's a very clear statement in these verses that I don't want us to miss. Despite some of the difficulties, one thing is very clear. That Jesus' preaching in these verses calls his people to trust and to obedience to his commands. I think that's crystal clear. So the approach I want to take is just to simply walk through this passage phrase by phrase. We'll address some of the difficulties, but um, we're going to emphasize what's clear in this passage. And see how Jesus preached the law. So let's begin with verse 17. Let me reread. Verse 17 for us. So look down at your Bibles. Jesus begins this section saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
So the first thing we have Jesus saying at the outset of this passage is he says, do not think. Jesus is clarifying what he's not saying so that people will be able to hear what he actually is saying. He's, he's probably encountered a number of people who have accused him of things that he didn't teach. And he's, he's certainly aware of the misunderstandings of what he's teaching round about him. And so he begins by clarifying his intentions. And just as we do this ourselves, don't we? Just this past week, I was sharing the gospel with the Jehovah's Witness. And at the outset of that conversation, the first thing I started with was some points of clarification. I made sure to tell them what I didn't believe first. Because as the conversation went along, it was apparent, and I knew that this was coming, that I was going to be attributed beliefs that I didn't hold and Protestants don't hold. And at the outset, I said that, you know, the things I believe about Jesus and the, the Godhead, I believe because the Bible teaches it. And that's the reason. Creeds, confessions, traditions, they're valuable. But at the end of the day, it's the Bible. And I made that clarification at the outset, and sure enough, in the middle of the conversation, it went back to the accusation that I only believe that because of a tradition. And it was very helpful to lay that out at the outset because I could go back to that and say, no, it's the Bible. It's the Bible that we believe that gives us these doctrines. And I found it interesting that when we left that conversation, they left me with watchtower literature and I left them with Bible verses. <laughs> but it, there's value and clarifying at the outset. Okay, so that's what Jesus is doing here. That's how he begins, and he's clarifying his teaching on Scripture. You see that in the in the passage. Verse 17, he speaks of the law and the prophets. And what he means by that is simply the entire Old Testament. Sometimes you'll hear the expression given in Scripture, the law, the writings, and the prophets. Shorthand for the threefold division of the Old Testament. Sometimes it's just even shorter, Law and the Prophets. So he's referring to the entire Old Testament, but in particular, he's especially referring to the ethical demands of the Old Testament. That's the context of verses 17 through 20. This passage focuses on the commands in the Bible. And that's also how Jesus uses the phrase a little later in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, verse 12. Here's what he says. Given us the golden rule, he says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Same phrase. He's focusing on the ethical demands of the Bible. So the law then refers to the entire Old Testament, especially the ethical demands. And look at what Jesus says that he didn't come to do with regard to the Old Testament commands. Look at what he says. He says, I have not come to abolish or to destroy the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament ethical commands. He didn't come with the intent to annul and to repeal God's demands of his people. Rather, he came to fulfill them. And here we have really the crux of the debate over this passage. What does Jesus mean when he says he's come to fulfill the Old Testament, and especially the Old Testament commands. Well, the word here can have several senses, depending on how you interpret the passage. And there's a number of views on what Jesus means here. 
Uh, one very common view is that when Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, that he means he's come to do them. He's come to carry them out. He's come to obey them. He hasn't set them aside, but he's come to perfectly obey the law to, to, um, to create a righteousness for his people whereby they will be saved. And now there are others who would say, no, that the real sense of this is that Jesus hasn't come to abolish or to annul the law, but to confirm it. To confirm it is, is still authoritative and is still binding and abiding in the life of the Christian. And still others look at this passage and they say, well, fulfill probably refers to what it most often refers to in Matthew's gospel, namely the bringing of completion or realization of something. And especially in Matthew's gospel, Matthew will cite some Old Testament passage and then he'll make a comment that this was to fulfill what was spoken of old. So something about Jesus' person or work fulfills the Old Testament. You think of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey in Matthew 21, 4, and, and Matthew says this was to fulfill what was spoken and then he quotes from Zechariah 9. So there are a number of ways in which we can understand the word fulfill here. This is one of the difficult parts of this passage. So which view do I think is right? What do I think Jesus has in mind here? Well, first of all, regardless of of how you take the meaning of the word here, I think all of those interpretations are taught elsewhere in Scripture. I mean, the Bible teaches Jesus perfectly obeyed for your salvation. The Bible teaches that Jesus fulfilled everything that the Old Testament pointed to in his person and in his work. And we're certainly taught elsewhere that Jesus confirmed the abiding validity of, of God's commands for his people. But I think... It's the last one that he has in mind here. I think Jesus is saying he hasn't come to set aside, to abrogate, or to nullify the commands of God, but rather he's come to confirm them, to ratify them, to reaffirm that they are abiding in the life of Christians today. So verse 17, Jesus is saying he didn't come with the intent of abrogating or or nullifying God's commands, but to confirm their abiding validity for us as Christians. And we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that um, not all of the Old Testament commands apply to us in the same way today, right? We don't keep the food laws any longer. We don't keep the sacrificial laws any longer. Later on, Jesus and the apostles qualify this statement. Okay, so don't miss that point. We're not saying that Christians today have to keep the food laws and so forth. But the point that Jesus is making in verse 17 is this. He is stressing an unwavering, positive attitude and commitment to God's law. That's what he's doing. God's commands are good and should be followed. And that's why he gives the reason for verse 17 and verse 18. So look back with me at verse 18. This is the reason for what Jesus says in verse 17. That's what the four tells us. This is the basis of the reason for the truth of verse 17. And here's what Jesus says. Very simply, the reason that he hasn't come to abolish but to fulfill is simply stated because God's law abides forever. Every iota, every dot, or if you have the King James, it's the jot and the tittle 
probably referring to the, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the yod, this little, like that. The smallest yod, the smallest little tittle, the little line that helps distinguish the letters in the Bible. Every one of those is going to remain forever. And just an important side note, we saw this earlier in the series about Jesus' view of Scripture. Do you hear Jesus' view of the Bible? Notice again how high Jesus' view is of Scripture. His expectation that we as His people would pay close attention down to the minute details of the text assumes that the texts that we go to are reliable witnesses to the jots and tittles of God's Word. Jesus believes the Scriptures are reliable and infallible. And it's on that basis that He calls us to obedience. Not the least stroke of a pen will pass away from God's law. Isn't that amazing? But that's Jesus' view of Scripture. So how long will God's words abide? Well, Jesus' answer is forever. You see the, the two statements there in verse 18, the, the until, until heaven and earth pass away, or until all is accomplished. That's just two ways of saying the same thing, of emphasizing the same point. Namely, that God's law abides forever. Listen to how Jesus says the same thing as it's recorded by Luke. In Luke chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus says, It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Hear what he's saying? The integrity of the Bible isn't going anywhere. It remains forever. And when Jesus says this, he's, he's just simply restating the claims that Scripture makes for itself. Listen to what God said in Psalm 119, verse 160, through, the, through, the, um, through David. He says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. That's all Jesus is saying here. That's Jesus' view of God's law. That's why he didn't come to abolish it, but rather to fulfill it, to confirm it. That's why he preached it. And that's why he called others to obey it, and even to preach it as well. So look with me at verse 19. See the word therefore in verse 19? Here's the application of verses 17 and 18 to his hearers. Here's how he applies his view of the Bible and of God's commands to us. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets, because the law abides forever, therefore, Jesus' followers must obey God's commands. Not just some of them. All of them. Down to the least of these commandments. He's calling for us to focus intently on the Word of God to see what it is that God calls us to do and by His grace to do them. We're even to preach and teach that to other people. You see that in the passage? So this is especially relevant for this series. What would Jesus preach? Well, He would preach the law. He'd preach what He told others to preach. So we've really just skimmed the surface of these verses, there's so much more we could go into. 
with just even these few verses, but hopefully the main point, the main point is clear, that Jesus preached the law. He called his followers to study God's word carefully and to obey everything that he commands. Now, I realize, let me just look up at this point. I realize that some are going to hear this and approach God's law in the wrong way. I know that's going to happen. Whether you're here this morning, if you're listening by the website, some will hear this, especially verse 20, and think that the reason that we need to obey God's laws is so that we can be right with God. Look, at, look back at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And some of you are hearing this sermon of the high call of Jesus to obedience. And you hear verse 20, and you're thinking, I've got to work harder if I'm going to be accepted. If I want to enter the kingdom, then it's up to me. It's based upon my obedience. I've got to get to work. And I just want to say to you this morning, that is not Jesus' point in verse 20. And let me try to show you from the passage where Jesus, when he preached the law, because he did call us to obedience, meticulous attention to the word and faithfulness to God's commands, he called us to do that. But listen very carefully. When Jesus preached the law, he preached it in light of the gospel. And if you don't get that, verse 20 is going to not make any sense whatsoever to you. So let me show you from this passage where Jesus preached the law in light of the gospel. So just step back for a moment and ask yourself this question. We've read the passage... Why did Jesus even take up this subject in verses 17 through 20? What prompted Jesus to begin discussing the nature and the abiding validity of the law for Christians? What prompted this? Well, I think it goes back to the opening verses, verses 1 through 16, where Jesus teaches about life in the kingdom of God. There in verses 1 through 16, he he teaches... What God's people should do as members of his kingdom. What their character should look like. How they should live their lives. Verses one, uh, 2 through 12, the Beatitudes. Describing the character of God's people in the kingdom. Verses 13 through 16, Jesus calls his followers salt and light. So ask yourself this question. Look back at the Beatitudes for a moment. Look back at verses 13 through 16. Are the Beatitudes imperatives or indicatives? What do you think? When you read these verses, is Jesus giving command after command after command? Or is he doing something more here? Would you consider the first 16 verses of this sermon law or gospel? Are they indicatives or are they imperatives? Well, they're not really imperatives in the way that we typically think of commands. You know, Jesus doesn't launch into a thou shalt not, you must do, and so on. How does Jesus describe kingdom life in these verses? 
Strictly speaking, there, there are only a couple of imperatives in, uh, in this section. There are only two imperatives in the Greek. Verse 12, where we're called to rejoice. And verse 16, where we're called to shine. Now think about that for a second. Light, by its very nature, shines, right? When we, when we talk about rejoicing, what are we rejoicing in? We're rejoicing in, the text says... What we have in Christ. So does this mean that the first 16 verses, Jesus isn't calling for obedience? No. The Beatitudes are calling us to pursue a hunger and thirst for righteousness, isn't it? Jesus wants us to be pure in heart. He wants us to be peacemakers and so forth. But it's so important to see how Jesus is calling for Christian obedience in these verses. He's calling for obedience, brothers and sisters. He's calling for obedience by reminding his hearers of who they already are in Christ. Or to put it another way, Jesus gives the imperatives by way of the indicatives. Or yet another way, Jesus preached the law in light of the gospel. You see, the Sermon on the Mount here, these are descriptions of kingdom living. We're told in verses 1 and 2, the people that he's preaching to are already disciples. They've already repented and believed in the gospel. They've already experienced the new birth Jesus speaks of in John 3. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And these people, Jesus' disciples, have been born by the Spirit into membership in the kingdom. They are already children of God. That's why these, these are descriptions. These people that Jesus is preaching to are already blessed. They are poor in spirit. They do mourn over their sin. They are meek. They are salt. He doesn't say be salt. He says you are salt. He doesn't say be light. He says you already are light. So shine, you see. Jesus says twice... That theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and numerous times here and in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he says that God is their heavenly father. They're already children of God. Those are all indicatives. That's all gospel. And Jesus is presenting to his people the implications of, of the gospel for how they're to live their lives in relation to God's law. Suppose, for example, I come into my study at my house and I find my daughter playing in my office chair and do the spinning around thing, you know, and you've got the the toys everywhere. Suppose I come in and I say to my little girl, honey, this is daddy's office. There's no playing in this office. No one plays in this office. Now, she would very much miss the point if she replied, but daddy... I'm playing in the office, right? Because the point is, when I say no one plays in the office, that's a statement, but I'm, I'm, I'm calling her to do something. Namely, to not play in the office. Or, or think of it this way. I'm going to be coaching t-ball probably in the next few weeks, so you can pray for me. And, but it reminds me of how my dad coached me when I was little and how he taught me to have fun out in the field, but to, to always try my best. And now, suppose before a t-ball game, if I say to my son or my daughter, now, 
Now, son or daughter, you're a Barkley, and Barclays have fun out there on the field, and they try their best. You know, you hear people talk like that. Two things are clear from that statement, right? My son should have fun and do his best on the ball field, but secondly, regardless of how he does on the ball field, what is he? He's my son. Because he's my son, because he has the family name, that's why he should behave that way on the field. And what Jesus is telling us in this sermon is that because you are already in Christ, because you're already his children, that you should live like his children. Because you're already in the kingdom, your character and your life should be marked by the ethic of the kingdom. See, Jesus was calling his people to live inside out. He was calling them to live not merely for the externals, but from the heart to live in gratitude for what God has already done for them on the cross. That, that's why in verses 21 through 48, Jesus has those six what we call antitheses. He's opposing those who approach the law without the gospel. Those who see the law as just a big checklist that if I can tick the n- enough boxes, I'll have enough righteousness. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not just about not murdering. It's about not even hating someone in your heart. It's not just about not committing adultery, but you ought not to even look upon someone with lustful intent. You see what Jesus is doing here? It's not a superficial external thing. It flows from the heart. God wants our hearts, not just our behavior. Christianity is so much more than just this religion of just keeping the rules. It's about a relationship that God has with His people. A relationship where His people obey Him from the heart out of joyful gratitude for everything they've received in Christ. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees totally missed. And sadly, that's what so many people, even in the church, totally missed. Now, go back to verse 20. Now, does verse 20 make sense in light of the context? The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was a self-righteousness. It was based merely on the externals of God's Word. It was gospel-less. And Jesus is saying that the righteousness that should characterize the followers of Christ must exceed that. We must look back to the gospel. We should look back to the righteousness that we already have in Christ. And then strive to live lives of righteousness as members of the kingdom. That's the way we enter the kingdom on the last day. See, there's an already and a not yet sense to the kingdom. It's already here. Jesus has already come. We are already in the kingdom. But there's coming a day when the kingdom will come in its final and fullest and most glorious expression when Jesus comes back. And when He comes back to His church, He's going to come back to a people longing for Him and living for His glory. 
It's the tie-in for the next sermon series. That's the title of what we're going to be studying in First and Second Thessalonians. Longing for and living for Christ. That's what God's people do. Jesus preached the law, no doubt. But he preached the law in light of the gospel. So in conclusion here, in conclusion of the sermon and to the series, what would Jesus preach? I just want to leave us with two questions. Are we joyfully receiving and responding to the preaching of the gospel here at Zion? And at its most basic level, have you received the gospel yourself? Have you heard the good news of salvation in Christ and received Him as your Savior? If you have week by week, when you hear the gospel afresh, are you remembering it? Are you seeking to live in light of it? Which brings me to the second question. Are you joyfully receiving and responding to the preaching of the law? Because that's what law-keeping for Christians is. It's gratitude for what we've received in Christ. See, the law and the gospel were never an either-or for Jesus. They were always a both-and, but they were a both-and in the right way. If you go to the gospel, you're going to go to the law. And you never go to the law unless you've first gone to the gospel. Jesus preached both and, and as individuals and as a congregation, I pray that we would be both and people as well. That we would delight in the preaching that brings both together and that we would seek to receive it and respond to it for the glory of our God and Father through Christ and by the grace and power of our Holy Spirit. So let's pray. That's our prayer, Father. That the Spirit would be filling us daily, week by week, year by year, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who for us became a man and lived the life that you require in your law, that we cannot live the one who died, the death that we deserve to die. That's what the law promises for sinners. But all how we rejoice in the resurrection of King Jesus, raised for our justification, and ascended to heaven, ruling and reigning in and through us by His Spirit and making us a people zealous for good deeds, delighting in Him and living for His glory. So may that be true more and more as a church here at Zion, but for each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.